0: this week on out now with erin and abe we're talking she said and the menu bon appetit wait a minute i forgot my introduction recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is unfortunately not here this week he was called away uh, but he shall return soon enough out now is a film podcast where Abe and i discuss new movies weekly we dig into movies but mostly for your review the occasional commentary track or some other film movie topic this is episode 516 516 and this week we have a double review episode for you guys we have she said and the menu two films I have no I have no other supplement to that one, I guess. They're both New York films, which makes sense because joining us uh, today, we have the owner and editor-in-chief of Next Best Picture and the host of the Next Best Picture podcast.
1: Happy to go on the record with us today. It's Matt Neglia. Hello, hello, hello. I am very excited to discuss what she said about the menu. Yeah, exactly.
0: I, I'm glad you're back with us on the podcast. Pi- it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we've had you on the show here.
1: You know us. what? I am an extremely busy individual um you are no I listen you call me at a good time and anytime anybody catches me at a good time i i do make an effort and considering it is um past 11 p.m on the east coast right now i would say this is a good time good. what 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 am i losing sleep fuck that <laughs> exactly that's
0: the, that's exactly the right attitude to have which yep. makes plenty of sense because we, we have these movies Set around and in new york and i figured we need we need a big brash guy to just, just jump in and and talk about these two movies with oh, us. oh I, then i'm not the right person <laughs> <laughs> so who better who better than the 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 eoc of nbp does anyone ever call you that people should say that more
1: no i i actually have never <laughs> nah that's that's a new one
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw that to uh what's his name to to will uh, excuse, 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 excuse <laughs> throw that at you, uh, but no. Glad to have you back here. We're, I'm looking forward to talking about these films with you and talk about some other stuff because you know uh, it's award season and uh, you have some thoughts on how these always do.
1: Uh, ask my team and they'll tell you. I I always have thoughts. I I send like random messages out sometimes at mm-hmm. like two in the morning. I'll be like laying in bed and I'll be like, guys, I actually think that so and so might get snubbed, and everyone will just be like, Matt, go away, go to bed. <laughs> like... <laughs> How often does that come to fruition? Well, I mean, like, this stuff is on my mind 24-7, and if anybody listens to Next Best Picture, they will know that we do take almost like a surgical approach to award season. We look at everything from every single possible angle, we assess, and then we try our best to make the correct uh, prediction. I mean, it, it, you know, is sometimes backed by logic that, Definitely makes sense, but can turn out to be wrong. Uh, But I would say that we never leave any stone unturned over at MVP. With each passing week, there's always like new news that will trigger a topic, if you will. And so by the time we get to the end of award season and our final predictions, it feels like we've really covered everything at every point to some degree or another, we don't just focus on best picture, even though the site is called next best picture, we really do talk about everything.
0: And it's funny, it's funny, you mentioned that, because we're out now out there in an A, but we talk about things that aren't out now all the time, sometimes
1: the things aren't out. So
0: I mean,
1: (laughs) you know, I mean, everybody's a little bit different in that regard. But, you know, that's our philosophy on how we do things. Oh, very cool. I'm glad to have that, that
0: understanding of how NBP works. I've, you know, listened my share of times. And it's always a Cool to hear you got your guys' opinion. I'd love to get it back on there at some point. I I was on there for what the five <laughs> bloods years ago. Um, but uh
1: Hey, was, you know what? Mm-hmm. If we can get schedules to align,
0: I would gladly have you on. For sure. Well, glad to hear it. Um, I want we're gonna get back to some award stock. I want to get the show notes real quick first, just to get some show business out of the way. Uh first up, we have a new commentary track. We do a commentary track every month, and this month, in honor of its 25th anniversary, and to complete the quadrilogy, we recorded a commentary for Alien Resurrection. A film that is not looked upon the highest amongst this, with the fans of this series. Uh, but we talked about it anyway. And we had a range of thoughts. It was a lot of fun going over that film. Um it's arguably more fun than the film itself. Uh, but that's up now. That's on iTunes where you can find all of the episodes of our show. If you log on iTunes, search right now with our name, you can find our show. You can be like, oh, yeah, there are a lot of episodes there. Then you can click that tab that says ratings and reviews. And you can give us a rating and review, which would be wonderful. That'd be great. Help us out. Uh, but what else? We are coming up on Thanksgiving right now. Uh, That means there's a lot of movies that are opening. Stay tuned for a series of reviews that we've looked to provide. We'll see if they're double episodes or just mini episodes. We'll see, but there's just certainly a lot of things we don't want to look over. uh, So stay tuned for all
1: that. And, Making uh, my podcast schedule at this time of year is a pain in the ass. So exactly, I, 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 right? I totally feel your pain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like how do we talk about devotion, the Fableman, Strange World, and Bones and all all the all all future family classics all at the same time all all four of those? Um, <laughs> it's a lot to do. It's a lot to cover. Yep. Um, but yeah, that uh, we do have plans to uh, cover of all of those films in some kind of order so stay tuned a lot of content coming your way in the next it's not like december is suddenly like oh there's no films anymore there's plenty of stuff coming out <laughs> um all right let's uh, move on let's get to some out now quickies team each weekend out now we will move the way to talk about quickies damn okay done with that matt i want to hear what other movies have you seen recently
1: well uh I'm going to go out of the water here. I'll go off the top of my head. Um, I saw a little movie called Babylon uh, directed by Damien Chazelle and I'm on a review embargo, so I can't say much about it, but uh, maybe I can get around that by talking about its awards prospects a little bit here. Um, As you are aware, it's an over three hour long movie. It is, in my opinion, a monster of a film. Uh, it is angry. It it will possibly uh, bite you at times. Uh, it is also a full course meal in that, you know, you're going to be full by the time it's over. It's a lot of cinema to digest. Uh, you may not like everything that's being served to you, but there there's a lot, there's a lot to offer here. And I think that that kind of a package is going to keep it in the best picture conversation. I, I think it's one of those like too big to ignore kind of films. Plus it's also a movie about, uh, about Hollywood's, uh, era from the the silent era mm-hmm. going into talkies and I just think that for some people they'll just appreciate seeing this uh, different side, we'll call it, uh, to the industry. It's very Wolf of Wall Street-like uh, and and as a result of that, it's got flashy editing, so it could be in, in the editing conversation, uh, it could be in the, the conversation really for all texts across the board, Justin Hurwitz's score, the sound, the cinematography the production design costume design like i mean this film is crafts 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 and margot robbie i mean she is just giving it her all in this movie uh so i think she's in the best actress conversation for it uh and yeah i mean mileage will vary with this one i don't know who is going to love it who's going to hate it and where it's going to ultimately end up in the critical consensus but in terms of like an award season contender um i feel i feel pretty good about it because when i think back on like i said a movie like wolf of wall street another movie that was very vulgar it was three hours long uh but it had like this zippy uh engaging story Mm -hmm. I, i i think babylon falls in a similar cocaine filled category
0: so chazelle's gone from like tense and and, uh, and really st- really strong work with Whiplash to more light and fun with La La Land to something very s- much slower and concentrated with First Man back to
1: cocaine-filled craziness in What What's the crazy slow movie he does next after this? I movie? mean, you know, I, I look at it from the standpoint of just ask him who his influences are and he'll make a film in that influence's vein at some point. I, I really do feel in a lot of ways this movie is uh, kind of his, you know, like his Scorsese attempt, uh, but I don't know. People might have different takes than that, but we'll 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 say. I don't want to re- like I said. I don't want to reveal too too much in terms yeah, yeah, of like enough. my my thoughts on like you know did I love it or did I hate it. i I know I'm I'm keeping things as vague and open as humanly possible right now. But just in terms of like my overall reaction to it when I first saw it and um you know how I think it's gonna perform this award season. Uh, it it's um yeah no it's it's something so be on the lookout for that one for sure and then beyond that um what else i i did just recently watch the quiet girl uh which is uh ireland's uh submission for best international feature this year yeah. there's been a lot of buzz about this one they get um, an international
0: but... feature is it in gaelic
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is uh some parts of it are in english but other parts of it are not um it really lives up to its title. Um, it's, it's a quiet movie. And for me, that's not my kind of a movie. Uh, so I didn't personally vibe with it as much as I wanted to. I recognize it is a good movie though. And the ending is really fantastic. Uh, but I think I leaned on the side of being a little apathetic towards it while also at the same time recognizing that there was some good stuff in there. Um, I've talked to some people who are just balled over by it, they think it's amazing but i also had like a very similar reaction to after sun a movie that everybody like seems Uh to love and i'm like one of the few people who just like it and thought it was good i I, it didn't change my life and or anything like that but so i don't know some of the people's reactions to that like i i i think for people there's like a personal connection there that i can't share in you know Mm -hmm. so I never another, uh, another title. I don't want to like bore you because I watch movies all the time. But, but uh, I'll, I'll keep it I've to never that. heard of
0: somebody like that before.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 uh, I'll keep it to just just three. Um, the other title uh, that I'll talk about here. Disenchanted. Did you watch this? Haven't yet. No, lives it, it, up to the
0: title, too. Are you uh, you telling me that the straight to Disney plus years
1: later sequel is not as good as the smash hit blockbuster. You know 2007? what? I actually kind of dug hocus pocus two a little bit. I was, ha- I had a fun time with that one. I, I thought they had to move in and mm-hmm. into the right notes for what that movie was supposed to be. That's fair. This one. Um, I feel like they did not properly recognize what made the first film so special. hmm and they didn't lean into that, and as a result, I mean, like for example, the first film had three songs nominated for best original song back when it first released, and, and this they movie, all lost to
0: once. <laughs> yeah,
1: hey, you know what? Deserved winner. It
0: is a deserved winner. It just it always amuses me that there are three busy songs up for best song and they all lost. Yeah, sorry, right,
1: go on. What so but, how But like, you none of the songs in this movie are memorable. Mm-hmm. Not a single one. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you mess that up? I, I like I, it's kind of baffling to me, and then this movie i mean when you get the disney plus budget <laughs> <laughs> and then this movie has like some just really janky visual effects work i mean just really tap sign on the horrendous.
0: disney Plus budget segment <laughs> <saying>. i mean <laughs> it, it is the
1: answer to everything here yeah you can like just lay it at the feet of well disney plus <laughs> like i know you're
0: like hocus pocus i don't care for but i don't care for the i don't think the first one's like
1: no that's what i'm it's saying just, it's
0: just a movie and it's like okay they made a sequel to that they thing, captured the like... spirit
1: of the first movie yeah, and so the it... first movie wasn't that great to begin with and the, so the bars not like... that high to
0: delete right. over here
1: so like yeah yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It
0: was, it's a legitimately well-made clever film with some uh, know, i thought it was extremely that.
1: clever when it first came out like the use of the 2d animation mixing with the live action yeah. here there's a lot more cgi and i just think that that all didn't work properly uh amy adams man We are really in the Amy Adams flop era right now. We truly are. When you look at her filmography as of late, it is astounding. Uh, But I'm really hopeful that she'll rebound with uh, Mariel Heller's Night Bitch (laughs) next year. (laughs) God, I love that title. Any excuse I can to just like throw that in there. Uh, But Mariel Heller is just such a talented filmmaker. And I, I, I remain optimistic that her working with Amy Adams will produce something uh, good because the last couple of films with her, I've, I've struggled as many have. So yeah, uh, that's, that's where I'm currently... Oh yeah. And you know what? Whatever thing too. Mm-hmm. I watched Stutz, the Jonah Hill documentary on Netflix. Oh, okay. How's that? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. I, so I know it. I haven't seen it. It's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of its execution, what it's trying to say, I think is extremely important. Uh, They try to distill these uh, tools that Hill has experienced in his own therapy. And he's hoping to share those tools with others in hopes that they'll help them. I got to be honest with you. Like I took notes watching this movie. I was like, yeah, there are some techniques in here that I'm like, I might try this for certain situations in life. This is pretty good. And so uh, kudos to him for, uh, you know, coming up with the idea also, to exposing himself in a very vulnerable way, too. Uh, sure. He really opens yeah. up a lot about himself. And that was not the intention when he first set out to make this movie. But mm-hmm. his therapist, who he wanted to make the movie about, like kind of got him to come to the realization that in order for this movie to work, you have to open up a little bit, too. And it kind of needs to be both about you and me. And so by doing that, the movie kind of peels back the curtain on the making of the movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I love that they have kind of like this sense of self discovery and but pulling back, like I said, the curtain to kind of see the inner workings of how this movie got made. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my favorite docs of the year, but it was one that left a, left an impact on me. So I, I urge people to check it out. How long is it? Uh, it's short. I, I think it was only like 96
0: minutes or so. My kind of doc. Let's do... <laughs> <laughs> you say, I say that, and yet here I'm going to get to my stuff now, because I did, I, I, I'm going I'm to give you a couple Oscar potentials and a couple uh, lesser stuff. Uh, but I watched Is That Black Enough For You
1: uh, from Elvis Mitchell. You um, know what? That reminded me of what it was like to be in film school, which I really appreciated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt like I walked away from that with like such great wealth of knowledge and then also like this curiosity i wrote down so many titles of so many films that i admittedly haven't seen and i was like i really want to watch these now Mm -hmm. because the way that they were explained via the voiceover the use of clips like it does a really good job of highlighting uh, just how important these films were during this period but you you may not have heard of them or you've heard of them but you haven't seen them and so it reminded me in that sense of being like back in film school where you're learning about a specific era and honing in on a specific like type of film. And as a result of that, I, I, I I was both nostalgic and extremely into it the whole time. The only thing, the only thing that bothers me with that documentary is I do think Elvis Mitchell's like voiceover is a little too monotone at times. And, you know, this is like over two hours long. It's like two hours, 15 minutes long. After a while, it was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like it just it could have had it could have had a little bit more energy to it. You know, I see what you're saying. So to back up a bit, this is Elvis Mitchell's
0: documentary. It's a a look at a 70s black film era. Um, Elvis Mitchell being a film critic and writer, uh, you know, accomplished uh, media industry person. Um, And yeah, you have a lot of yeah, there's a lot of talking heads of various actors from the time and just around the time. You have a lot of clips from various films and he's identifying so many different films and kind of where they where they sit in history, where when why they were coming out at the time, what have you, um, it's a lot of great insight. As far as his narration goes, I actually liked it quite a bit. I like I'm used to hearing him on podcasts and things, um, yeah. but I also know that he, especially when he's in like interviews, like one on one interviews, like in Q and A's and stuff, he could be a pretty quick wit. And what I like here is that there's a lot of there's a lot of contempt for the film industry and things around it as far as why these black films are being made and what they're responding to as well as what's being taken from them. And so I think he tried to, what it seems like to me is that he tried to find a balance between his own kind of snarkiness that he can have mixed with a sort of educational tone uh, to convey a certain attitude that he wants to bring where there's, I don't think it's necessarily, it's not like didactic. I mean, it's there's a sense of humor in there, but it is kind of being played against this Minor level of anger that I think is justified in what he's doing. I can get it, you know, you know, for a two and a, yeah, I I agree. I can agree with you as far as it's it's a long documentary. Yeah. And so if you have a certain kind of tone, it's not always going to work for everybody. But for the most part, I just thought this was pretty, like you were saying, it is a pretty great doc in terms of the wealth of knowledge you receive from it, in terms of all the information you're getting and all the different talking, all the people that you're hearing from let alone just delivering all these different movies that you'd want to see. I was so happy to see a number of films that I have seen, but just I know don't get that kind of recognition. Something like Cooley High, which is coming on the Criterion yeah. next month, which is great. But um, it's like, yeah, cool. I'm I'm very, I'm very happy. There you go. We're in your Criterion shirt. I'm very happy uh, to see just like representation for like these movies that, you know, so many of them are not just like, nice you know cultural footprints but also just really just strong entertaining films that are worth you know worth catching up on absolutely um, oh yeah that's on netflix now i, I, I really enjoyed that one uh, i watched bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths oh here we go in the e latest film uh, about the journeys of a man who won two oscars trying to make himself feel important um <laughs> That's harsh. I didn't dislike this film. I didn't necessarily like this film i'm 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 not sure where I feel. I fan land on it yet. I saw it a few days ago now at this point. It's quite long, and I was in a hot room where I was very uncomfortable, so it didn't help mm. um,
1: but um... that was that was by design for the experience, uh... I guess,
0: yeah, but um, I'll say this. Darius Kanji's cinematography is pretty incredible. Like after, I agree, which is yeah. not like it's not surprising, but like after watching, you know, what do you have like three back to back chivo shot films? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, glad to see Kanji coming in here, and being like, I can also do this, and just making it look very cool. And
1: that's the thing too is that if you would have told me that this was shot by Emmanuel Labeski, I would have believed you probably, uh-huh. because the style that uh, Kanji evokes here is very similar to. Lubesky and so much so that I started thinking to myself oh maybe these types of shots weren't Lubeski at all it was actually Alejandro that was telling Lubesky to shoot it this way because there are some shots that mirror exactly stuff that you see in the Revenant even in Birdman at times too so I, I gotta say, like I, I saw the I mean, movie. It becomes a collaboration.
0: I mean, you know, it's, yeah, like, you know, you look at Chivo's does other movies, You know, he does a Malik movie. It looks like a Malik movie.
1: I mean, right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so I saw the film you Telluride in its original 176 minute cut. Yeah, it's now at a what like one, <laughs> it's two. I think it's like, think it's like two like, hours thirty nine. So like one. Yeah, hour something like that.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like around the two and a half hour mark, and they cut out I think twenty two minutes. So, but. I saw it a second time with the new cut Uh and I could tell that it was noticeably better. It Hmm. did move better. There was one scene in particular that I definitely noticed was missing that I was like, okay, good. Glad you lost that one. (laughs) And there were some scenes where I could tell that they were a little bit shorter um, but overall the effect and the message was all still the same yeah. The movie hadn't changed so much drastically that, uh, it felt like a different movie. It it didn't. And it was funny because after the first time I watched it, I kind of said to myself, wow, I really don't want to have to watch that again. Other, other than when we go to watch it on Netflix for the podcast <laughs> review. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I, when I, when this announcement came that they recut it, I was like, okay, I, I am going to have to watch this again before I review it for the podcast, which means I'll have to watch it a third time probably now. Uh, But it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's in Spanish. So that means you have to pay attention the whole time while you're watching (laughs) it. Hopious notes too, because I do, this is the thing. This is what I like about it. Yeah. The pacing is terrible, but there are so many ideas in this that I really, really like. There are. And there are a number of sequences that I really locked into as far as Yeah.
0: I mean, there's there's a number of, there's a few, like, party sequences uh, where, like, the our the main, dance floor sequence. Silverio is, like, interacting with certain people, or yes, the dance floor. Like, there's just certain things where I'm like, I like where the rhythm is in this movie right now. And then other parts, especially in the middle, it just kind of, it feels very much tripping through its ideas and trying to express something in a way that feels artful. And it's like, sure, it does, but it's like, I I feel like you could accomplish this with less of it yeah.
1: and get across the same idea here. I completely agree. I, I do think that there is a great two-hour to two-hour, 15-minute movie in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that. So I think the movie could have been trimmed down even more. But there are certain scenes that are extremely memorable and are still sticking out in my mind. The airport scene in particular is one that... I, I really, really liked. And there, there are a couple like that throughout. So it's messy, but in a way where a part of me was even wondering, is this like intentionally messy as a way to kind of evoke Fellini at times, you know, and almost like this kind of abstract sort of way? uh but then i but then i was like okay maybe i'm giving him like a little bit too much credit here you know i mean but
0: i don't i you know he's an accomplished filmmaker i don't think he's dumb as far as that kind of thing goes i know you're not saying that but i mean i i do think he i don't think he looks at this whole film and is like not recognizing what what's what he's picking up on as far as like something like you know it's it's clearly like his eight and a half that's what he's going for but like in terms of like what he's known for i don't think he's above knowing not only where his praises are, but where his criticisms come in. And I do think there is some kind of attempt to comment on all of it. It just, right. it, become, it it feels like that it feels, in a way that's, could be detrimental to the film overall, as far as getting caught up in what he wants to put
1: out there versus what makes the most sense for the movie. I mean, this is a movie at the end of the day where like, I appreciate the swing uh, sure. and, yeah. and the form I like of the swing, too. even yeah. though, uh, yeah. even though he didn't connect with the ball. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, Oh, good swing good swing looks really strong it's hard to say if i'd connect to it more
0: watching it on netflix if that's a weird thing to say to begin with but it, you know watching it the way i did where it was just i have uncomfortable. heard that
1: it, i have heard like mm-hmm. international viewers are connecting with it a lot more than domestic viewers uh and i think that's because the themes of the film are resonating with them on a more personal level potentially it's fair yeah yeah I've seen a correlation with some with some international film critics in particular. Mm-hmm. So I um I watched uh, St. Omer. Um, that mm. is is that Francis? Um... Yeah, that's that's Fran- uh, France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, France. Uh, it's a French submission uh, this year for international feature.
0: Yeah, this is like it. It's weird to call it a courtroom drama because that's what it is. It, it really it, takes, it is. It's, it's like yeah. a two, it's a two hour movie and. Two thirds of it are set in a courtroom, but it has. An and interesting those scenes approach. almost
1: seem to play out in real time almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much. They, so. they go on for a very, very long time to the point where you really feel like you're a fly on the wall and you're really in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, performances are good in this. The, are... Those two those two main performances, I think, carry you through whatever sluggish pacing or kind of opaque storytelling that there is in there. But I think it works by the end overall. For sure, I would I would agree. I think it's effective in what it's overall trying to compared
0: to Berto. I think it's effective in what it's trying to accomplish. It it just it, it takes it it takes it takes its time to get there, but I do think it's weirdly riveting despite the minimalism that's shown in how they shoot these long courtroom scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it does. I don't need to get too much into the plot, but yeah, it just it follows this novelist who's just like attending this trial, and we're watching this trial take place, and it involves this woman who's who's. It's not even alleged. She she admits to it. She murdered her child, and there's a reason behind all of these things that connects in interesting ways. But yeah, it's it, uh, it's certainly a drama. But I, I but it uh, it has an interesting point of view as far as what, in, multiple points of view, in fact, actually, which is uh, good. It's good for the movie. So I it's certainly one I would recommend. I don't know when it's coming out exactly. I'm sure it'll be releasing a limited release sometime soon.
1: I do wonder though if uh, the international voters are going to go for it though, because it is a very, as you mentioned, like very very slow type of film, um, and I think that there are other slow movies that aren't as, um, that that are more direct in their emotions and also in a way that they land the impact of their storytelling because uh, saint omer for me like in terms of its overall like impact you don't really feel it until like the final couple of minutes that's fair and there's so, this, there's a lot
0: of exciting international submissions going on right now though.
1: yeah I, you know when you have like 80 plus films i mean mm-hmm. you know it, it it gets competitive
0: i hear you uh the last one we will mention um is a christmas story christmas you watch Disenchanted, I, I watched A Christmas Story Christmas. This is one the, I
1: have not seen so it's all go. you. Uh, are, are you a fan of A Christmas Story? The original? Yeah. You know, this is a movie that like my family has tried to like tell me for years is great and every year I will see it's on TV and I sit down and I watch a couple minutes of it. I've never watched it in full <laughs> and I I I and and I, I see the appeal but it feels more like generational appeal. Like You either have to have watched it when you were a kid and had that nostalgia for it, or you had to have watched it like when it came out. And now you're telling like your grand grandkids about it, you know, like, I mean, it it just yeah, it just doesn't land for me. But I don't I I don't mean I don't mean like want that to sound like it's bad. It just I just don't have that same connection to it that some people do
0: that's that's entirely fair i'm a 90s kid that hates hook so you know things happen Uh, i'm right but that's besides the point (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: well i am a fan of a christmas story i do i like i I, I like when it's on that one time of year that i watch it um and now they've made a sequel of peter billingsley and many other cast members returning to this film um and you know what it's entirely fine (laughs) I think it, it, compared to disenchanted apparently it does the job that i would expect for a you know unneeded legacy sequel coming in years later featuring original cast members on a streaming service like fitting into those parameters it's doing what i expected to do and a little better than i expected it to do it's not terrible by any means it has a nice heart to it it's occasionally amusing it's fine it it, uh, it does the job that I would expect people to expect from it. Uh, so it's, and <laughs> um, Peter Billingsley, who's, I think more of a producer now than anything. Um, you know, he pops up in a couple of Marvel films and he's like best friends of Vince Vaughn. Uh, but you know, him being back in the saddle as an actor, he's he's doing the thing as an older Ralphie, which is nice to see. So I, I had a decent time with this movie more than more, better than I was expecting. Well, that's nice to hear. Maybe I'll throw it on.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, Double featured. A-
0: yeah, I, I would, you know, if you watch the back to back, I'm curious how that would go. I feel like that would play interestingly, especially if, so for one that hasn't seen, you know, the original in full or something. Right. There, so you know, when you're when you're busy, when you're done watching all the Hanukkah films that we all love and watch every year, uh, then you can put on the Christmas Story features, uh, you know, in December and take that in. How do you know I watch eight crazy nights every year? <laughs> does Does anyone actually do that? Uh, okay. <laughs> I it's it's an annoying amount of, like the fact that i i want to watch hanukkah films and i don't have anything to watch beyond like a rugrat special um well yeah.
1: hey listen the fableman's uh is expanding over i by default i said
0: when i came out of Fablemans, I'm like well that's the that's the best hanukkah movie that i have an option to watch <laughs> it
1: could be worse i mean mel gibson was
0: gonna make a maccabees movie for a while so I'm like jesus yeah. christ <laughs> like... uh so yeah i have that in like hebrew hammer <laughs> like, I don't, not a lot. I mean, it doesn't seem like it should be hard to do, <laughs> make a Hanukkah movie, but here we are. Uh, anyway, um, all right, that's on the cookies. To you. Let's move on now. Before we get to our views, Matt, since we do have you here, I want to talk about some awards stuff. You already brought up uh Babylon, and you know, I brought up a couple others as far as the international realm goes. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I'm curious, right now it's uh late November. Uh, we're we're getting into the thick of it as far as some of these big releases actually coming out to place where people can see them. Who who do you think are who would you say are like the front runners right now? For which category? For like for some of the majors. Like we're, we're, I guess that you're on next best picture. Who are the best picture front runners
1: right now? Like if in months time, what are like the three films that you could see like winning this thing? Yeah, so I'm actually of the belief right now that there are four films that can win. Okay. Uh, the four films are women talking. The Banshees of Inishhirin, mm-hmm. the Fablemans, and Everything Everywhere All at Once.
2: Hmm.
0: So you got two. It in- you have what? I guess they're all indies, kind of, and then Fablemans is the only like mainstream film by default. But even then, it's it's not like it's Top Gun. Um, right. So you, so you think those four are the the kind of the the pot the big possibilities? Why why so?
1: Well, uh, number one, they're all gonna probably get screenplay nominations. There you go. Uh, number two. Uh, they'll probably all get acting nominations and they'll probably have a combination of acting, writing. Not all of them may get into directing, but we've seen over the last couple of years, you don't need a director nomination now to win Best Picture. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: But they could all get into film editing and maybe another tech or two. So, you know, when you look at um, stats, which which I do a lot, Last year, Coda kind of threw stats out the window. Yeah. Coda did not have an editing nomination. Coda didn't have a director nomination. Coda, Coda, Coda just you know, Coda just obliterated like everything. It's a pattern
0: me. until it isn't, and Coda yeah. is a prime example. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, I I am still relying on stats, but also too just like forget about stats for a minute here. If when I say those films, topically uh historically when you think about like the types of movies that the academy would recognize Mm -hmm. you just look at their trend like their history those four fit the bill top gun maverick is the popular movie and it's obviously like the highest grossing film of the year but that movie is (sighs) it's not saying anything (laughs) yeah i I mean i mean well it is it is it sneakily kind of is it it is speaking to like the old guard of the academy telling them that they're not irrelevant
2: Mm. and
1: that they still have purpose because that's essentially maverick's trajectory in the entire movie uh but i i i struggle to see like maverick doing well with i mean maverick might surprise maybe in the end but I, I would say that that is actually the fifth option if I were to if I were to come up with like a top five right now, that would that's where I'm at. But I mean realistically, it's really those first four that I mentioned. uh women talking, I mean, considering the legislation uh, that was passed which uh, outlawed uh Roe v Wade, uh I mean, women talking could be extremely important uh as a choice that is a reflection of our times right now Mm -hmm. uh banshees venice sheeran uh could be a hey we almost got you for three billboards but we actually like this film more this time so here you go uh and if it wins screenplay plus colin farrell for best actor Mm -hmm. you know that all could add up to a best picture win um, And then you that's because that's the thing I also think about is I also think about paths with other wins. Like, OK, like yeah. if, if I'm predicting this to win this and this, that's a path to best picture. Um, And so Fableman's the path is pretty apparent. Yeah, uh, it's it's very obvious. Fableman's is actually like the real number one front runner right now. Uh, but I think I think deep down. Something tells me that everything, everywhere, all at once could be this year's parasite. It could be this year's coda. It could be this year's moonlight, where Fablemans is the the big film, like La La Land, or mm-hmm. uh, or um, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, Nineteen Seventeen. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's the movie that has all the prestige. It has all the right players. It's like the the, the preordained one from day one and somewhere along the line everything everywhere at once like we'll sneak in and just win something like maybe sag ensemble and it's like oh oh boy like all of a sudden the momentum just starts to change and the the narrative i see kind of playing out right now maybe it's just one of a few possible narratives i could see like this old guard versus new guard uh membership of the academy uh with fablemans and everything everywhere at once and kind of like this almost generational battle taking place here in terms of the type of film to be recognized.
0: I hear you on that. I mean everything everyone well, once is we gotta shorten that one up. <laughs> Same
1: it over and over again. Um, that's certainly been the
0: little film that could as far as just breaking through, you know, becoming a hundred million dollar grocer, Right. a great story for Michelle Yeoh and Ke Hu Like it's just there's so much yeah. there to like give that that kind of momentum. And it's going up against Spielberg no less, which is like
1: and, he, and like when I tell you that Fableman's is the preordained one, you've got Martin Scorsese who finished uh, Killers of the Flower Moon in time. And they could have released that Apple. And, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that this definitely happened. But, you know, rumor going around town is he was like, no, no, I don't want you know, I, I, I don't want to get in Spielberg's way this year. Do I you mean, think Spielberg Spielberg and him are buddies? So it kind of makes sense. But do you think that helped accelerate emancipation? Like, yeah, total, totally. Like because I mean, they don't I, have anything
0: else. They're like, well, we, we'd either wait absolutely. a year.
1: absolutely, Because then all they would have was Cha-Cha, Real Smooth, Luck and Causeway. This being Apple. Mm-hmm. uh, So I think that they I, I do. Something tells me like deep down they wanted to have Killers of the Flower Moon release this year. Well, yeah. And an Emancipation <laughs> next year because they wanted to put as much distance between Will Smith and the incident from last year. But just not the way things are working. And I do think that, you know. No matter how good Emancipation is, uh, you know, the incident with the slap last year is probably going to linger in people's minds a little bit too much. And I do think it's going to trickle down and have a residual effect, unfortunately, on all other aspects of the film. And people are not going to be I don't think people are going to be kind to it.
0: We'll see. I mean, I think what helps is that it is a streaming release compared to a theatrical one. So it's not like there's going to be a story that says this movie bombed at the box office because it just sure. didn't have a chance to play it that way. Which yeah, is you know, another we're, thing we're, too. We're, and we're talking that... side on. We're talking side on scene as far as the quality of the film to begin with. As far as like we presume right. it's good just because of when it's coming out and the trailers and what have you. But it's like, how do you, you know? But that's really... another
1: thing too. Like in regards to like Fablemans right now with its uh, expansion this weekend. Mm-hmm. West Side Story was the lowest earning Steven Spielberg film since 1997's Amistad. Mm-hmm. And with it making, I believe it was like $78 million. A part of me is wondering, can Fableman's even do that?
0: I don't have a reason to think it would, honestly. Right?
1: So as one I'm who's starting... seen and has plenty of great thoughts about the film. It's so like, I'm starting to wonder, like, just from a perception standpoint, then you said it before, everything, everywhere, all once grossed over $100 billion. Mm-hmm fableman's like yeah i know it's spielberg's life story and we love spielberg but then like say say, save this to yourself like what if the narrative then all of a sudden like the momentum starts to change because fableman's is seen as this box office disappointment oh spielberg's no longer the king of the box office anymore he's had two movies in a row underperform and there's a lot of like you know factors we could throw at that given you know the pandemic and People not returning the movies for these types of movies yet and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I think it might go a little bit deeper than that. And something tells me that Spielberg would still win director. He's my front runner for best director. Mm -hmm. I don't even think there's a number two to him in that category. I, I think he's so far ahead. And I'm wondering if he could be like Jane Campion last year, where it's the only win for Fablemans and that frees up then something else to win best picture.
0: Well, if Sammy submits some of his film for the shorts, they can get two Oscars that way. But we'll see what happens. I guess. <laughs> um, you put, yeah, we've talked about a few things here, but uh, that that makes me want to get to this other question I had as far as indies versus blockbusters when it comes to Oscars here, because we have obviously the films you just mentioned, you know, Women Talking, Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere, which are all you know smaller films, along among the others that will likely get nominations. But you have like a pretty crowded set of blockbusters that could make their way into this category. You have Top Gun, you have Avatar maybe Black Panther Black Panther is not happening I doubt it as well but I mean I I see where the argument comes from but Um, here's
1: the thing with that like and and I've been pushing this idea on the people or anybody that will listen because when I say it it's going to make sense sequels only get into best picture when there's a general consensus that it is better than the first film if there is even a hint or a detection that it is yeah it's like the same or it's not as good it it's not going to get in for best picture like like it needs to exceed expectations and fly sky high above the first film that's what maverick is to top gun that's what mad max fury road is to any other of the mad max movies that's what uh the godfather part two is for part one return of the king is and you know there was like this general consensus of like this is this is great this is great cinema, like this is one of the best films of the year. Nobody's saying that about Black Panther: Wakanda Forever right now.
0: That's fair. Uh, re- regardless, in terms, still there's with the Top Gun and, and potentially Avatar, which is which could fall into the same. Category, could happen but... with
1: Avatar. Could happen. You know, never doubt James Cameron.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone, everyone, for some reason, with Titanic and Avatar, chose to doubt him, and
0: <laughs> well, I just got
1: look. Look where he ended up.
0: <laughs> I'm just curious your thoughts on, you know, we've had a couple of years now where it seems like the indie films have pretty much run wild in the categories with some exceptions as there always is, but like even more so than it seems like normally, mainly because mm-hmm. those indie films are the kind of films that would be high grossing dramas back in the nineties and the eighties and the seventies. And now they're result they're, They've resorted to indie films for these kind of stories. Um, but this, but also year... at the
1: same time too, there were less films being released during those, during those times. Uh, this is also pre-internet um for sure but you can yeah. you can
0: take some of the stories being told in some of the indie films that have been nominated for best picture and see those as a wide released film from the 90s as a drama or something that would just that would have clicked
1: with audiences more than some of the lower grossing films that we've had but i but been but, it, but it's seriously though know, because like the whole click thing i i i, I just I, I I don't think it's that simple to distill it down like that because well I'm
0: speaking somewhat generally, but sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no I, I hear you. I hear you. I just I, I I hear this comparison all the time. Like I always hear people always talk about well, these films in the nineties were getting, you know, this much money at the box office and Forrest Gump made all this money and it won Best Picture and like countless other examples, you know, of uh, these high money-making earning films winning. And the same can still be true of today, Uh but it's not going to be for uh, a superhero film or a franchise film or something like that. You need to find the types. Like I said, this is why it's so important to understand that the Academy's like past history. They're still in the realm of wanting to honor films that fit within the tradition of what a best picture winner. Oh, I definitely
0: see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. easy to look at that and see the variety of films they do, they do
1: nominate. But that's it, why I'm also like bringing up like so much of this talk about like Fableman's box office and the fact that everything, everywhere all at once is seen as a success with its hundred million dollar gross. And uh th- I mean, it, it is small compared to still what a film in the eighties or nineties would have grossed and been in the best picture conversation. Sure. But relative to, to today, that movie is seen on that level, I think. Um And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see like how Banshee's continues to perform because right now it's still at under ten million dollars at this current time. Women Talking, I, I kind of fear for it at the moment because of the fact that, um, you know, she said just out- opened and it didn't have a good opening and wide release, but maybe the climate will be a little bit different when Women Talking comes out. Hopefully, we'll see if it stands a better chance. Um, but yeah, no, it, the box office for awards season films is not looking too hot right now. But then there's another thing too, like a lot of people are bringing up right now that also comes to mind, which is I think people are still willing to go see these movies. I think the problem is that audiences are so much more selective about what movies they will go and see. And when you have them all being released in this very, very short period of time from mid-November till end of December, if they, I think if they were just more strategically spread out throughout the course of the year, they They would probably perform better. I mean, if you put them all here together at once and you have a movie goer who, instead of trying to see like five of them is only going to go see one, that's going to hurt the box office for so many of them.
0: I agree with you. I still I agree with you. what i what I look at is still the just the fact that these are deemed independent or art house films to begin with compared to older mm-hmm. dramas. That wouldn't be, you know, released by you know searchlight pictures. They'd be released by Fox. They released by Sony. They'd be released by Warner. Bros. And I do like there's, you know, uh, talking about she said. Well, we're about to, we're, we're exactly well, you know, they're, 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 Elvis is like good classic. you yeah. know, of something that actually yeah. did hit and
1: came from a major studio, no less. I mean, no one had yeah, to look yeah. for where Elvis. Yeah, and, was. and it she, was right you know, there. and like you and you were about to say too like she said you know is a studio film as well so but no i, I, mean, I, I going to say I mean, it's just...
0: a she said she says a what is it focus what is it What's no name? she says universal it's universal jesus i forgot that's, that's that's the that's the level of that film i see but even then it's like there's no world where like people you know i'm seeing variety put up uh, posts about how she said bombed the box office in what world was she said gonna set the box office ablaze this weekend i just don't understand where that thought comes from to begin with like i
1: i didn't either necessarily um it it came in at number six last i checked and from two thousand screens it uh, or I think it was 2,000 screens. I think it only made like $2.2 $2 million or something like that. That's a bold move for Universal to be like, yeah, 2,000 screens is good for this.
0: Nah, they should have done no a
1: movie stars. Like They like... should have done a platform release for it. They yeah. should have, uh, yeah, slowly rolled it out. But I mean, the problem with that is, you know, Fablemans is doing the slow rollout. So I, I think they strategically, you know, let, she said, be the sacrificial lamb for Spielberg to not get in his way yeah and it, there's the payoff i mean well mm-hmm. with that in mind
0: thank you matt i do i thank you for humoring me on my awards questions <laughs> we've talked about this quite a bit oh wait now. wait
1: one last one last yeah. thing No, before we move on yeah. uh I've, i think brendan frazier's winning best actor for mm-hmm. the whale and i think kate kwan's gonna win supporting actor for everything everywhere all once supporting actress is really tough that's the most competitive category right now in my opinion and it could be so many of those people who are the contenders uh, you
0: think on that one
1: god there's like 15 of them seriously <laughs> um i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm not kidding that category is insane but i would say off the top of my head carrie mulligan and she said carrie in the banshee's of Anna sheeran women talking jesse buckley claire foy Hong chow in the whale dolly de leon triangle of sadness uh the everything everywhere all at once lady stephanie sue and jamie lee curtis uh and then from there i mean you know you could get into uh Tusumabetu for of a Woman King, potentially, Janelle Monet, Glass Onion. Uh it just goes on and on and on. I mean, like I said, there's so many names here that at a certain point, I, I, I don't know like what combination they're gonna ultimately end up with for the five in the end. That's where the precursors also help, though. When when you start to see a lot of these critics groups chiming in and you start to see, oh, this person is continually like popping up here. Mm-hmm. So if it's working for the film critics, maybe that will translate over to the Academy. But, you know, a lot of times the critics taste sometimes doesn't match up with the Academy. But it is still helpful to see like, oh, OK, like this person is always popping up like that's the consensus then. Yeah, uh, and, that, but- and that does help with, uh, you know, trying to predict these sometimes. And then for best actress, um, last category here. I like kind of I I know in my heart of hearts, like it's probably Michelle Williams, because if Fablemans does win Best Picture, she's probably coming along with it. But if the film doesn't win Best Picture, then I think it's between Kate Blanchett for Tar, which that performance is just incredible. Mm-hmm. But I think even more incredible is Daniel Deadweiler's performance in Till. That performance blew me away when I saw it. And I and I immediately thought to myself, that is a that is an Oscar winning performance. And a movie that, if they watch it, is very, very digestible. Yeah. Yes, it's tough subject matter, but it's like an easy watch. Where tar is like kind of this two-hour, 40-minute long art house film. It with... challenges you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it might it might not be on everybody's level as a result. And that could impact Kate, where Till, I don't think, has that problem other than it's tough subject matter and they just got to convince people to watch it.
0: When was the last time there was kind of like a completely new person to in the the Academy that just came in and like walked away compared to like, a, you know, an old Star Wars, like a two-time Academy Award winner, Kate Blanchett? Troy Kotzer last year for CODA? I guess so, yeah. That movie had its strange momentum, though, like as a movie as a whole. Like, this so is just no, like, like, yeah. Um, this is just like right. a movie that, like, the only thing that's going to get it will be for Daniel Deadweiler. Like, is there? Um,
1: Let me think. Hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think of like best actress contenders that won without a best picture nomination. I mean, like Red Main for A Theory of Everything kind of just came in out of
0: nowhere. Just kind
1: of a little bit a little bit but, but that's he still been, more of like he a... had been around um sure *Tangled* yeah. dead really got like the harder They fall station 11 and a few other things but that's like the only well, that's like kind of it so oh you know like lupita Nyong'o for 12 years of slave but then again she was also in the best picture winner so yeah uh yeah this I, wasn't I, it I, to me to be a challenge i'm
2: just <laughs> curious no i know
0: like, i
1: know like and that. I'm i'm sure there are people like screaming right now like what the answer is to me but my brain is a little mush as we across the uh, midnight mark over here on the east coast <laughs> well then let's move on let's get let's yeah. get to some let's get to some of these reviews <laughs> but i do
0: i do thank you for the awards chatter because I, i'm always curious um but let's do it let's still let's talk about our first movie here let's talk about what she said
3: why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address let's interrogate the whole system Hi, my name is Jodie Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for The New York Times. What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming.
2: I don't want to be quoted, period. Understood.
3: In your previous stories, how did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them?
2: A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past. But together, we may be able to help protect other people. The truth basically,
0: all right. That should have been some of the trailer for She Said. Based on the New York Times investigation and in the book by journalists Jody Cantor and Megan Twohey. she said chronicles the events that led up to the takedown of Hollywood mega producer/slash supervillain Harvey Weinstein. Directed by Maria Schrader, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan star as Twohey and Cantor, who find themselves teamed up in the investigation that would lead to them interviewing a number of actresses and former Miramax employees. As the stories build up, it comes down to having these journalists get people to go on the record, even as Big Bad Harvey breathes down their necks. Matt Neglia, I want to know, what did you think of She Said?
1: I thought it was a really solid movie. Um, I really liked the acting in it uh, from the entire ensemble. I also really appreciated uh, the sincerity and also the respectfulness with which this story was told. Uh, This is obviously a movie that's going to strike a chord with a lot of people dealing uh, with their own, uh, I think, personal trauma. And so I think the movie has to tread a very, very fine line in how it presents um, a lot of these horrible experiences that uh, befell upon these women from this really terrible, evil son of a bitch, Harvey Weinstein. And I think the movie does a really, really good job of presenting the story, but also uh, capturing the hard work that goes into crafting a story, uh, really showing how difficult it is to circumnavigate around NDAs and also trying to elicit uh, people trying to go on the record uh, for these stories to give them the uh, integrity that they need to basically publish. And I really, really like that uh, approach uh, to it. It has like kind of this... Uh, methodical procedural like element to it, but also like imbued with such like humanity. Uh, my complaints with it are really for the editing of the film. I, I I found myself struggling at times with some of the cuts and some of the pacing. Um, I felt like it was it, by the end it did feel a little too long uh, when all was said and done and I also, too, uh, and I want to preface by saying that I kind of got over this with a second viewing, but on the first viewing, I think I just have like this very uh, unfortunate pessimistic viewpoint of the world right now, because in the aftermath of Me Too, you know, Brett Kavanaugh uh, getting the uh, Supreme Court nomination, and then a couple of other instances that I saw where it just felt like women weren't being uh, believed anymore. I really I don't know what it was, but I, I like I I had expectations for how I wanted this movie to end and how I wanted it to leave me feeling. And I realized uh, on a second viewing that was unfair to the movie uh, and I needed to be taking it a little bit more on its own terms, because by the end of it, I didn't get this sense of uh, the battle was won, but the war is still ongoing there was like this line of text in the end that mm-hmm. they show that say like, Oh, these conversations are still happening to this day. And I was like, that's it. That's all. That's all you're going to give me. But then I watched it a second time because like I said, I I, I kind of felt like I was bringing a little bit of my own pessimism uh, into the movie a little bit too much. So I watched it a second time and it played uh, it played a lot better. Like I said, the performances are really phenomenal, even from some people that have just like one scene, in this uh and you can't go wrong with zoe kazan and carrie mulligan being your anchors through it all so played a lot better uh resonated a lot stronger i don't think it's as good as something like spotlight in recent memory uh but i thought it was better than the post which was another uh recent uh journalism film so and 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 leaps and bounds better than bombshell i thought in terms of how it handled uh its storytelling pertaining to this matter as well so uh good movie uh, I would agree that it's a good movie.
0: I have more reservations, I think, than you do as far as it overall. Uh, I will say that I agree with you heavily on when it starts being a movie that's about the journalism specifically, I think it really works. I think mm-hmm. when it's dealing with things, like you said, navigating NDAs, getting the the, the kind of the, the journey to get people to go on the record, uh, even just like how to bring about an article and like, what's the best, what's the best route to get to that decision or to, to get to that progress, to that process. I thought that stuff was interesting. I was much less enamored with a lot of the buildup to the, the meat of the film, uh, which, which uh, held me back from like embracing it more because I feel like the movie has, obviously it has an importance as far as the story it's trying to tell. Yet I couldn't help but feel detached from what it wanted to get across just because of basic directorial choices it was making and things like you mentioned the editing. But even just the way it wants to present information to me, understandably, not everyone knows the same amount of detail that everyone else knows. So it's like, okay, fine, I need to like watch a character learn about who Harvey Weinstein is. But I felt like the dialogue getting into these sequences was pretty rough at times when it especially when it treats Zoe Kazan's character as if she's a total novice to being a journalist when I'm walking into the film knowing that she's been a part of the New York Times. And it feels like what why is there some sloppiness here as far as like her understanding, like the parameters of, what story she's going for. And even when she's trying to interview people, it's like, it's not her first time interviewing people yet. It's so awkward at certain periods. It just, it felt like this weird disconnect I had from seeing the film match.
1: What should be an important story to a better way of handling said story. Uh, There's Uh, one, there's one thing though that I I did appreciate that I didn't mention before, but also too, it might also add to what you're saying as well was a detriment. mm -hmm. Um, I actually thought that some of the real life inclusions, yeah. of uh, certain people uh, in this movie were was it was a surprise to me uh, mm-hmm. particularly Ashley Judd's involvement I had no idea heading into this that that was a, a, a an element here and really really enjoyed her presence throughout and I also really enjoyed that she didn't make it about her she came in did her part and serviced the story at large which i really appreciated um i agree but, i agree with you i think that's
0: but, a good but on then her.
1: you but then you have these other moments where you can hear donald trump on the phone it's not really him it's a voice actor an uncanny voice actor might i add but yeah there have are a lot like of those that. these days it seems so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like um someone doing the harvey weinstein uh voice impression on the phone as well and Gwyneth Paltrow I I I still don't know if it actually is her voice it or isn't not
0: her but like because mm. I I because I was curious
1: too is like well they got Judd they could have got Paltrow but it's like oh, uh, it wasn't her but they did a good I was job. wondering like it I was like did...
0: Rose McGowan for that matter too yeah yeah McGowan,
1: but like so I was like thinking to myself like I love this added air of like authenticity but also at the same time I was wondering if like because because the audience I saw it with the second time was a um a non-film critic uh public audience and some of them were snickering and giggling and things like that, and I was like, "Oh shit, is this taking people like out of the movie because it is a little too real now at this point?" Uh, I don't, I, I don't know what you, how you feel about it, but I, I, I really liked it. I like the
0: idea of an of a crowded audience for she said snickering and giggling at the subject matter. But uh, before we keep going, I want to introduce our our ne- our other guest here arriving a whopping hour 20 minutes into this recording uh from the wrap partial to any dishes with an excess amount of foam it's scott mendelson
3: i i apologize for my delinquency <laughs> uh for people listening to this in the future uh we just got word like an hour or so ago that bob Iger was going to be replaced bob Chapek again i guess as the disney ceo and i was asked to contribute to a late night report so, so
0: glad to have you here now and yes that is very interesting and exciting news <laughs> regarding Disney, but we're not that podcast. Uh, so we, 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 you know, we have nothing to say about that beyond, hey, cool. WB, you're up. Um, <laughs> with uh, with that in mind, Scott, we're talking about. She said, "I want to hear what what were your what were your general thoughts on on the film."
3: Well, I echo some of your sentiments. Um, for about the first thirty minutes, I thought, "Oh God, this entire movie is going to be like." a not good as opposed to a good episode of svu where you have characters that are hardened professionals in world where it, proclaiming to be shocked and surprised by frankly one of the course run you know run-of-the-mill misbehavior or things that should not be shocking to anyone in the in their world i mean what you mean Big powerful men in Hollywood sometimes take advantage of, of actresses and young women? No. Obviously that's terrible, but it's not new news any way, shape, or form. And you have scenes with the reporters, you know, scrolling through pictures of famous actresses as if they don't know who they are, or you know, things of things of that nature. I and mean, it, it's fortunately, that's only takes up, I'd say, maybe a fourth of the movie. Give or take, and that's not a little bit. But I think when the film just trusts its audience to be at least as world weary and and knowledgeable as I, I think the average moviegoer, it's it's pretty good. It when it tells its story, when it just it shows in relatively clinical, objective detail how these reporters be you know brought wrote the story. With phone calls and interviews and 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 all of the nitty gritty of journalism, and it's not, to a certain extent, it's not super cinematic. But that's, you know, that's sort of the issue when you have this slew of, of films and, frankly, miniseries being made about famous stories or big moments in history that aren't necessarily cinematic. I would say the same thing about Adam McKay's Vice, which I thought was a far inferior film, partially because it's just you know, powerful white men sitting around in a room having conversations for two hours. Um, You you say say that, but it's like, there are
0: classic films about journalism or about people just sitting around and doing the work that are classics for a reason, because they're able to find how to make a cinematic venture out of this. All the President's Men is, you know, not inherently exciting if you just say, these two guys dug up some information and took down Ken. Like it's, it doesn't necessarily play out like, oh yeah, that's obviously one of be, you know, one of the more cinematic accomplishments of the seventies. Yet here we are. I mean, there's Um, there's films that don't occupy that space just from a, you know, a high concept. Yeah, I I agree with
3: you. I mean, it's, it's Spotlight Spotlight is is one that 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 took what should have been a very dry story and without overdosing on melodrama made it, what I would argue was a very cinematic picture. And maybe that's just the case. This just isn't as good and well made of a movie as Spotlight, which, to be fair, that film won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2000. The film is very well acted by everyone from the obvious, you know, Carrie Mulligan is a slightly showier role than Zoe Kazan. But Zoe Kazan is, you know, arguably she's the protagonist and she's more our entry level character, which might explain why she comes off as, I would argue, somewhat naive in the earlier scenes. And then you have a couple wonderful supporting, you know, I mean, it's hard to explain what Andre Brower is doing because it's so subtle, but it is wonderful. He he does no it. nonsense, is just,
1: uh, no bullshit. Yeah. He's just is so humorous. Yeah. It's
3: like nothing phases him and partially because, you know, he's not in you know, all of these movie stars. So to him, Harvey Weinstein is just another rich asshole that he occasionally has to interact
1: Harvey. With. I got a paper to run. Give me, give me your answer by two. <laughs> it's it's great like this warm
0: confidence that he brings especially given that he's you know running the new york times and so the way he can just kind of step in and say his piece it's like great i i really like this and because and he and patricia Clarkson are just so involved in the final third of this movie it makes it feel like a big team effort which is you know that's how an investigation like this would go i i just i really like those that that kind of that presence that he that he brings in here i miss these other you know very talented actors that are doing their job yeah samantha so morton's one oh. scene i think is really really good in this um, so here's here's the thing because i agree with you i think she's probably the best actor in this cast yet i think it starts out really great and then it becomes this like screed that's spelling out the message of the movie and saying like take this and tell everyone and do all this stuff and i'm like it's a good thing you're the best you're a great actor because it's like this the force-fed dialogue i'm getting right here it's just it, it it's not even like it's bad to hear these things. It's just more of, I feel like, the, I think one of my major issues with the movie is that it, it feels so proud that it's being this movie, that it's getting to tell this story in order to, you know, spread this message and warn people and, you know, make sure this is clear and understood by others, where I think that gets in the way of
1: a better constructed screenplay overall. Well, like I was saying earlier, that was kind of like my... Uh hurdle with it on the first viewing because i almost did feel like it felt like it was a little too self-congratulatory at times and by the time we got to the end i i kind of felt like i had this sense of oh this is a triumphant movie the evil is defeated and we got him and you know and and in the back of my mind i was like but there's so much more in the fallout of this and like i said they have the text on on black at the end to kind of try and encapsulate all of that but I I was just like, so I was so pessimistic and I was so closed off to it. I was like, kind of like refusing to read it almost. And I I was glad, like I said, I was glad i watched this movie a second time because um, I felt like when I watched it a second time, I, I I saw more clearly like what they were trying to do. And I kind of left my own personal feelings, like at the door on the second viewing a little bit more. And I was able to like far better enjoy it knowing like what approach the movie was taking and what it ultimately was on a second uh viewing. I still think it's extremely vital and super important even though the story is still like so recent. 2017 up until now it's only been 5 years at this point. Uh but yet for it to live on uh through this film and you know could potentially get a Oscar nomination two or three out of it. Uh you know, it will then hold up as uh, a historical document, if you will, uh, within film history that people will be able to look back on and say, uh, "Yep, this was an important moment in our culture, and this is when the shift ultimately happened." It it's a fair read. It just it would bother me if we like cement this film, which is like to be average, as the one that like tells the definitive story on Harvey Weinstein. It's downfall. the one that we got. <laughs> it's the one that we got, and and I think like you know when I, in terms of awards predicting. It's interesting because, like, I I feel like this is at number like 10, 11 right now in people's like best picture predictions. I've seen some people rank it a little bit higher. For me, it's like it, it 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 all depends on how Avatar performs and if Avatar is a big deal. I don't think it's getting in. If it Avatar underwhelms in any way, I think she said we'll get in there. Um, I know I'm making it sound like so simple, distilling it down to like one film's success or failure, but. The other films that I have in my best picture lineup, I feel so supremely confident about. This is the only one where I'm like, I don't know, because on one hand, you will have people in Hollywood who will want to recognize this film. And then on the other hand, you'll have some people who will think it's too soon. It's hitting too close. It didn't do a good enough job. And, you know whatever excuses you can possibly come up with at that point right i can just tell
0: you an Aaron newworth's personal best picture nominee list isn't is in the top 50 um, I, <laughs> um I, as much as i as much as i respect what it's doing i just it, it it comes up short in too many ways despite me respecting the fact that like yeah okay we're telling the story you know I, I mean i just i'm just be, i just be recapping my hollywood
1: issues. movie about hollywood Taking out Harvey Weinstein, whether it's good or bad, I, I feel like it won't matter.
0: There's some word there that I don't think is irony, but it's something that just makes me just irk at the idea that this would be like a Best Picture nominee. Uh, the, the celebrating of the taking down of a man who forced his way to get multiple Best Picture nominations in the past. It's it, It'd be weird. It'd be like oh. telling an honest story about Frank Capra. Um <laughs> <laughs>
3: I do think for what it's worth, one thing I liked about the film is I feel it did emphasize that it wasn't a Hollywood that brought him down. Right. It was these outsiders.
0: That would help. Yeah, it would certainly not be hard. And as Hollywood's far as Oscars, so
3: not Oscars, my feeling was that, you know, do I think it's one of the best films of the year? Absolutely not. However, if this were 20, 25 years ago and this were just a Saturday night at the movies, it's a solid three star picture.
0: Which is ultimately how and I'm nine. trying to grade it as well. Like I said, I do think that yeah, yeah. what you were saying earlier as far as like when it gets to like the journalism stuff. And yes, I recognize the importance of what that journalism is about. There's vital. That's vital. I get that. It, it, it's it's interesting to have a film that wants to play as mainstream entertainment as well as be a film that has a, you know, a message to it. Um, but at, at the end of the day, yes, it works best, I think, as this kind of, you know, solid journalism movie the fact that it happens to also be a homework movie okay fine like it, it, it's doing it's doing its job and i do think it has its its merits in that regard uh, but jennifer Ely is very good on this too speaking to, as far as like the other she's people. great yeah
1: if she had like one more scene in this movie i would have said that she should have gotten the supporting actress uh mentioned for this over carrie mulligan who i think is a co-lead and not supporting whatsoever but universal is just Throwing in some fuckery this year with category placement between this and Fableman's uh, which wait, is, so they're,
0: wait. So they're saying she's supporting. That's what they're going with. For they're saying Mulligan? that
1: Mulligan is supporting and Michelle Williams is lead for Fableman's. And I'm like, yo, you know, but I, I get it though, because it's like divide and conquer. They think they can get two wins out of this, this way. And they might, they, they just might. Uh, Let's but, be fair.
0: Those aren't the most egregious things that they could have done. Like those are, you can argue, I can see the arguments for those a lot more clearly than, other things in the past like that's I sure get
1: <laughs> sure but it still angers me only because i when i saw the fableman's a tiff i this was before the announcement of michelle going lead i was like oh that's a slam dunk she's so winning supporting actress we can get michelle williams her oscar and like we can move on with yeah. life and everything will be great and then she got moved up and i i saw what they were doing with mulligan and then i was just like oh you guys are being greedy now I was like, I'm not, I'm not here for this. I don't, I don't like this. Well, as, um, you,
0: as you said, there's like 15 <laughs> options for supporting actress. So, I mean, they got Williams out of there.
1: True. But <laughs> Mulligan, here's the thing though. Mulligan is like riding off of still the goodwill of promising, promising a woman. A woman. Yeah. Uh, she is good in this movie. She definitely has more standout scenes than Zoe Kazan does. Um, and she's got that great scene at the bar where she tells the guy it's hitting on her, like, fuck off. And I was that, about that's... to say, that'd be, that'll be a hilarious scene to watch at the Oscars. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> You only need one or two bleeps. I, think.
1: I mean, I think her scene with Peter Friedman from Succession where she's like asking uh, how many settlements there were. That's probably her Oscar clip, I think, if I had yeah. to take a guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of it. They could choose. There's from. There's plenty here, of awards ceremonies
0: but... for there to have clips from. So, I mean, <laughs> you
1: gotta, you I think choose. she I think she wins if the film is nominated for Best Picture number one and number two. If they are looking for a place to give She Said a win somewhere, just so that they can say that they acknowledged it, she is the best candidate for it to win something. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of cards that still need to fall into place. I mean, I Jesus mean, Christ, it isn't even Thanksgiving yet.
3: You are absolutely right. I love this. hearing that. Michelle Williams had been in the Best Supporting Actress category. She probably would have gotten 80% of Easily. Those.
1: Easily. And if by jog. some fluke
3: she wins Best Actress... Who will be this year's Nick Nolte that got screwed by an absolute supporting performance that ended up winning best (laughs) actor?
0: Yeah. Watch out of nowhere. Actually, Judd gets nominated. It's like, wait, what? What happened?
1: (laughs) 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 You know what? She's the number one that if she had like a major one additional scene or something, like who knows what could have happened there? Because when this premiered at NYFF, I was in the room for it. And the ovation that she received was Second to only Brendan Fraser this year, for what I saw in terms of just film festival response. I mean, like, holy crap, that room exploded.
3: One for playing themselves.
1: Uh, oh, One for
3: so. playing themselves.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. Spielberg's going to get a directing Oscar for directing himself.
3: <laughs> 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 um, I mean, you know, Ashley Judd is playing Ashley Judd. I know. I know yeah, we need
0: to look into um, this because
1: that I feel like there's probably some obscure
0: just, fact that there's I'm like, I'm I'm coming trivious. to
1: mind uh off the top of my head. But has anyone been nominated? I don't think so.
3: Maybe the Lou Gehrig story. The closest, the,
1: the closest I know that ever came. If if it never did happen, uh, was being John Malkovich for John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah. I know mean,
3: well, I
0: don't
1: have the answer to that. Yeah, I mean
3: I, I I like the film when it's in the nitty gritty of it's it's you know it's telling a journalism right. story. You're right. The scene where they're subtly you know they can't say anything out loud debating the number of settlements that's terrific that is terrific cinema Mm -hmm. that is a scene that feels cinematic um and i think when the story gets out of its own way or doesn't feel the need to handhold for lack of a better word i think it's quite compelling and i don't know if there's any way around that um but yeah it's fine well
0: we have another review to get to, and it's already going long. So when should people go and see? She said it's currently playing in theaters. Matt, when should be when would you say people should
1: see this movie? Uh, right, fucking now because the box office is really bad for it. So go, people, go. <laughs> Scott,
3: yeah, pretty much. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and scream that it's a feat. You must see this on a giant screen, especially because it's you know it's Universal, so it'll probably be on BVO No, but and- like
1: here's the, but here's the problem, though. No. But it's that like.
3: Vote with your wallet.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I, it's not so much even, like, yes, I do want to see this particular film do well, granted, but it's also a sign of telling the major studio executives that we want to see more films like this getting greenlit in the future. And that, I think, is the Having more important that, message. I here. mean,
3: without getting sidetracked on box office, I have to assume Universal went to this with their eyes open.
1: I, I, well, I was telling 20, 30 Aaron... 30 years ago,
3: this would have been a long I shot.
1: was telling Aaron this earlier. I think they intentionally went wide, because they were intentionally platforming Fablemans uh, instead of because they knew I think they knew if they went wide with Fablemans they would have gotten the same result here and they're not they're awesome not going to do that to Spielberg yeah I just don't know why this didn't well come I mean out, like, you know, late September you know mid October you know, I
3: like mean even for the green light stage I mean 20, 30 years ago this would have been a long shot mm-hmm. you know no stars you know based on a relatively recent story that's relative inside R-rated, baseball rated a lot of R rated. It is a film aimed at women that promises them a bad time for most of the running time, fair or not. Yeah, and that's very hard to get people to the theater for. Uh, as far as
0: as far, as far as my view, I mean, I as much as yes, supporting the idea of studios, you know, making dramas and putting them in two thousand screens. That's great and all. I just I think the film's fairly average. I would say wait for streaming. Um, it, it it does its job well enough, where you can enjoy it as a watch. But I wouldn't race out to theaters when there's so many things and so many options available to you. Uh, currently, films that I just, well, frankly, like a lot more. Um, all right, let's move on now. Let's get to our next review. So, one more to talk about. Let's talk about the menu. Welcome to Hawthorne.
2: Here we are, family. Yes, sir! We harvest. We ferment. We gel. We gel.
0: We gel.
3: He's not just a chef. He's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is going to be. You won't know till the end. Who are you?
2: I am Margo. Why do you care?
0: I have to know if you're with us or with them. This
2: menu. The pictures, they're of us. This guest list. How
3: do they get these? Not good. This entire evening.
2: This is just theater, it's stagecraft. We're
3: leaving now. Has been painstakingly
0: planned. That should have been some of the trailer for The Menu. What meal has cost you the most in life? The Menu revolves around Hawthorne, an exclusive restaurant owned and operated by Ray Fiennes' celebrity chef Julian Slowick. Hawthorne is located on a private island and guests consist of the ultra-wealthy. In this film, we watch one particular night where the chef has more than the usual in store for his patrons, as his meticulously planned meal will likely have deadly results. However, chef did not plan for the presence of Margot, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She's a last-minute replacement guest who's come along with Nicholas Holt's foodie fanboy, Tyler. Will she be able to match wits with the chef during his most performative display of food as art? Scott Mendelson, I'm curious, what did you think of the menu?
3: It was delicious. No, I enjoyed it. It was a you know... Like... completely different context but it was a solid three-star studio programmer it's a fun movie with a high concept and a good cast i don't think it's the best thing since sliced bread no pun intended but i think it's fun and it's you know not to be a cliche but it's it's reminiscent of you know back when people went to the movies just to go to the movies and a film like this would be a solid enjoyable pulpy little adult skewing film that maybe they drop their kids off at you know a superhero movie and they'd go see something for adults. Oh, it wasn't so long ago that it actually happened. Um I think it is very contained. Obviously most of it takes place in a single contained location. I think it lays its cards on the table a little earlier than maybe it needs to, or that you realize pretty quickly that you know there aren't that many tricks it has up its sleeve other than the how because we you know the what and the why is pretty self-explanatory. Maybe they
0: realize that Fox Searchlight's been playing the 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 trailer for in theaters for like three months straight, so everybody knows that something's going on.
1: <laughs> although, although the reveal that the movie is not a cannibalism film uh, was a surprise to some people. Very disappointing. I I was I was I've never I never even I never I mean, considered that actually. Oh, I talked to so <laughs> many people who thought, oh, it's a cannibalism movie, isn't it? Isn't it a cannibalism yeah. film? And I was like, I'm not telling you.
3: <laughs> and honestly, it's it's almost that it's not is almost what it does be what it is is almost scarier because you know it's more plausible um it feels like a stephen king film or stephen king book in that they set up a horrific scenario then all likelihood is going to come to pass and the question is is there going to be a last minute plot twist that gives you a happy ending or not and it looks very nice you can tell the you know the the Money went toward the, you know, the single-location production design. Uh, Ray Fiennes is obviously having a good time, um, and I do think it works. And you know, another one of the, and we were saying this a lot in twenty nineteen before COVID screwed everything up, where you were having these mainstream, opie, opquo entertainments that were dealing with economic inequality in a way slightly more complicated than just Bernie Madoff did it. Or Enron is bad, um, so I think this film works very well alongside everything from Knives Out to Joker to Ready or Not, and you know Green Onion obviously, is, or excuse me, Glass Onion, as well, which comes out in about a week. But I guess my only misgiving, and this isn't really a criticism, it's sort of why it's a good film, instead like of a great one, is that it's pretty much a "what you see is what you get" kind of you know picture. And I'll stop rambling.
0: Fair enough, Matt. What would you think of uh, the menu?
1: So, full disclosure, I like fucked up movies. And when I ultimately saw what this movie was about, um, I was watching it as giddy as could possibly be because I like seeing movies where people are just put through the ringer and are psychologically tortured. And I also think that that was the thing that really pulled me in here was the psychology of it all. I like that there is this metaphorical quality to the food that is being prepared here and how he weaves that uh, through his own artistry into what he's serving and is speaking directly to the themes of the film. And I agree with Scott. Like that is my drawback too, is that it's very on the nose uh, and also it plays its cards uh, pretty early. I was waiting for there to be some sort of a twist that never seemed to come. I also thought it was going to be more violent and it never really ever got to that point either uh but i was riveted by the psychology of Anga taylor joy versus ray fines and their two characters and also just understanding who they were i like the way that the film slowly reveals information about all these uh guests uh throughout the movie we don't get like any backstories or any flashbacks or anything like that that are laid out for us and so i kind of like you know, having to play catch-up a little bit uh with who everybody was, why they were there, and then the most brilliant part. Am I allowed to spoil? Uh, I don't wanna I don't want to go into spoilers. So okay, then say, all yeah. I'll leave it at is um the arc of some of the characters, uh and where they all end up at the end. Mm-hmm. I also thought was uh very neatly and well laid out to the point that I believed it uh when we got there. And that was actually a really hard ask, I think, of the audience to fully believe that we would get to that point and we would walk away from it believing that the characters are reacting to it the way that they're reacting to it. I'll leave it at that. Um, same thing too with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and how her conflict with Ray Fiennes is resolved as well. I just thought the writing was extremely clever all throughout and so found it to be very, very entertaining. Uh, it's not, like I said, like like not a great film uh, but a very good film and one that is a very easy recommendation. It plays very, very well. And I think we're seeing that play out here too with its box office performance. It overperformed uh, expectations wise. Uh, and I think it's going to have legs on it too. Um, it may not be a straight up horror movie, which I think the marketing might have, that probably helped, I think, with getting people in the door. And maybe it might disappoint some people where it's like, oh, it's not a jump scare like horror movie. It's not a cannibalism movie. It's not any of that. But I do think they're going to walk away from it, most people, finding that it's actually something more richer than that. And that's what's going to uh, hopefully help them tell people, yo, I watched The Menu. It fucking rocks. Go check it out. (laughs) Oh, in that regard,
0: that's exactly why I think it overperformed beyond just the fact that everyone knew it was coming for the past three months with all the trailers that I see every single time you see that movie. Uh, But I do think it's because it's not a you know, quote-unquote generic horror feature in that it has some meat, like, for the average moviegoer, it has meat on its bones compared to being something that's more, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, you walk you walk out of that movie feeling like you had a good time because the movie is essentially a dark comedy, right. but it's trying to say something also, and I, I think those that combination of things is why it'll work out in the same way that something like Smile performs so well at the box office. It just, it just feels like it has something extra there beyond just, oh, this was a bit of fun. Um, As far as my thoughts on the movie go, I don't want to go over too much of the same stuff that you guys have already said, because I largely agree with everything you just went over. I will note that I think Ray Fiennes is giving what I think is maybe the best comedic performance of the year. Um, There's something so specific about his chef character in the way that he presents himself that I just found to be hysterical. Uh, Not necessarily in like a I am laughing constantly wildly out loud way, but certainly in a this is a great actor entirely into the performance he wants to give here that balances this kind of level of menace mixed with this very dry sense of humor that I think the script serves him well with and he's able to, yeah, match wits with Anya Taylor-Joy's character with quite well. Like, it's just, it all comes together in this way where it finds to be as clearly the MVP here. That's it. You have this great, like, terrific supporting cast of, you know, character actors and comedic performers and what have you. Uh, you know, obviously, we talked about Taylor Joy already, and she's very good here. Leguizamo makes everything better for me, so like just having him <laughs> here is like, yay, good. Like more of that, please. And Nicholas it, Holt, went, yeah, when yeah. he when
1: he when he says, did he just quote Martin Luther King? I, yeah. I died. <laughs> I I laughed so freaking hard. Yeah. It was amazing. But uh Nicholas Holt, I think, is actually my favorite comedic performance in the movie. I think he is so underrated as a character actor. Uh He also showed like this kind of uh quality about him in. Uh, the favorite in film and then the great in television, and I think that he's just been knocking it out of the park lately when he's not being cast as like the dry, uh, leading man, uh, as like this pretty boy type. Like, if they put him in like supporting character actor mode, the guy is just killer in everything he does. I, I agree, and honestly, I think it's a benefit
0: that he hasn't been too much catapulted to this kind of leading man, dry kind of guy, like he well, for the they, most part, they he tried. Did... They, they, they did just,
1: try with him. <laughs> like, but remember Tolkien?
0: Remember Tolkien? Talking? Talking? Yeah, but to, not to the extent that you got worn out on the guy. Like, I think for the most Oof. part, he's... That was enough yeah. for me. Yeah, no, that, yeah, not that movie, but no one saw the movie. Who cares? Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, every summer we got a new Nicholas Holt action movie or something like this. We yeah, like, He seemed to, like. If you love
3: even... Jack the Giant Slayer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Nobody exactly. loved Jack the Giant Slayer. Exactly. That happened. It's like, I guess we're not just doing this. And so he's, you know, he pops up in things more often as this, this kind of guy, or, you know, like Mad Max Fury Road, even stuff like that, where it just works for him. He seems to like yeah. get the lane he's in. And yes, I agree with you here. He is very good. I like finds more, but I still like think that he is it's be, given his character and given the characters around him, it's neat to see like who you end up thinking is probably the worst of these people. Um, And it, it's just like, it, but he makes it very funny as far as how he, he handles himself here, which I found to be certainly admirable. Um, I do. I do think the movie Yes, it's very funny. Yes, it's like well made for what's a you know it's essentially a smaller film that has one main location. Um, something I really enjoy without getting too far into it, is that there's a there's a weird level of sadness that I found the film like wanting to explore with these characters, despite not getting you know elaborate backstories but more implications of what have you that I appreciated. That does get you to the point where Matt, you you mentioned with the ending, as far as how you're geared to accept what takes place. I do like that the film supplies that kind of information where you can certainly read an understanding of where how it would get that far. And with that in mind, it you know, you talk about plausibility. I like the film is there is a heightened sense to it, despite taking place in like the real world, but I do think that there's a the kind of, the way you the way it the way it is satirical, the way it is stylized, um that can be tricky to pull off in a way that, you know, doesn't you know, break your sense of reality, and I think this movie knows how to handle that well. So, it yeah. it all plays in its favor.
3: What I like that, without going into details, you know, the way it resolves at least one of its major character arcs, you know, it flirts with implausibility, but it makes so much character sense and emotional sense. Yeah, that yeah. it's incredibly satisfying. Absolutely, for sure.
0: Um, how how did the food look to you guys?
3: I'm very curious about this. Fucking delicious all of it i mean i know there's one dish that a character makes that gets lambasted but it looked really good to me <laughs> there's an undercooked dish that's like i want to try that anyway
1: i really really like the screenplay structure of the courses being like the structure yes. of the film thought that was very clever and i also love the descriptions of the food too and also yeah. <laughs> those those got some of the biggest laughs out of people in the movie um the, the, I said before, the metaphor behind them. But then in terms of like how they're photographed, um, I, I I actually asked Mark Mylot about this because uh, I, I find food photography to be just so fascinating uh, for commercials, especially. And, you know, th- there's nothing really to it. You know, there's nothing like fancy or anything. I mean, it's exactly how you would expect it was shot. And, and it looks good. It looks good. Even the bread with no bread looks great. I oh. uh,
0: I would certainly eat all the things presented. I like scallops, so you know, I'm into that. but um <laughs> I, I, I do feel like the like there's a description of it later on that I appreciate it because there is a sense of, yes, it's elaborate. Yes, it's there in front of me, and it's coming from a place that I know you know, respects the meals that it's cooking. But is there heart in it? And uh, that I, I found that to be interesting as I looked at the, you know, more and more of these dishes. And wanted to recognize, like, would I be having fun eating this? Like, and I think the film plays with that in clever ways.
1: Yeah. Well, I we mean, actually, a lot of times it's not about the food, it is it is about the experience, right? For sure. Yeah.
3: We actually saw it at the Sinopolis. They and had you, this were you special. Eating? Were you
0: eating during? It? Well,
3: they had a five course meal. Oh, wow. It was sort of a special gimmick where they brought out what I thought was a very well made and satisfying five meal. They had. You know, a an appetizer, a salad, um, a burger. So it wasn't you know super hardcore. Uh, Bread, you know, bouchetta, and then you know dessert, and it was very satisfying. It certainly got me in the right headspace, even if I perhaps missed the point of the movie. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I forgot um, Hong Chao,
0: also very good in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, um, a-
3: what a. For what a role that could have been easily been a thrown a throwaway role. I, I yeah. wish she
1: had a little bit more to do in it, just in terms of character backstory. But I, I I liked her presence. I thought she added a lot to. Considering she has like such a small stature, her her eyes and her her posture is like is the daggers that she's hurling at people. It feels like, and that that made her uh, intimidating, which was. Uh, a great quality to have in uh, a right-hand woman to uh, refine his character,
0: for
2: sure.
1: I, I would agree. I would
0: mean, get these are like elements that, like, it's a good movie without being a great movie. It's like, well, right. I can recognize the
1: like. And, you know, I walk in, but it's such like... an easy, but it's such an easy recommendation now for people. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. i mean it is a, and it is the fundamentals
3: a, are all rock solid
1: yeah like i mean i i can't promise you it'll be like one of the best films you'll see this year but i i can probably guarantee you'll not be bored watching it that yes that's
2: that's
0: an easy thing to put out there um i rarely tell somebody this is the best movie you're going to see this weekend uh the, the, of the year unless it's rrr like i'll recommend that very easily <laughs> the most good because it's like i can't I, there's no way to use hyperbole
1: to describe that movie. It's like it is all of these things. Like I don't. Yeah. Like, there's not. There's not really another way to. Which, describe by the way, it. that is my. Uh, that that is my mom and dad. You were watching this over Thanksgiving movie. I I am hell bent on making that happen this weekend, if I can. Good, because our because RRR needs to be seen by more people in general. Yeah. yeah,
0: I might take it to make. I'll just make it my official Hanukkah movie. I'll do that. Uh, then I'll solve my. I'll solve my problem. Um. All right, the menu. When do people go and see this movie? Tomorrow.
1: Scott, tomorrow? Yeah, in theaters. In theaters. Great. Matt? Uh, yeah, definitely go now, I would say. So this way you can go when it's a uh, full theater. I think it plays better, obviously, because of will laughs. Um, if you don't go see it in the theater, I'm sure it'll play uh, just as well, maybe slightly less so at home. But I I would urge them to go see it right now. All right.
0: I would agree. I do think it's a theater-worthy movie. It's a lot of fun. I I think having that atmosphere just would be great for, you know, getting a fun black comedy that, you know, gets everybody happy and excited, despite some terrible things that happen during
3: it. And if Uh, you choose to watch it at home, I suggest you go to Panda Express and get the family combo pack. (laughs) Bring it home and slowly eat it while you're watching the film. Yes. Popcorn is optional.
0: Fair enough. All right. Let's move on now. Done our reviews. Let's get some. Now that Scott's here, we can do this. We can play. uh, We can play. We can play some games here. Oh, boy. All right. That was on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you rarely get to see me actually do that. Uh, But that was, of course, the improv theme for games. And I have a game for you guys this week. It is called Movie Foodie. Uh, Famous film dishes. I'm going to read to you a famous A food dish from a film of some kind, and you have to guess what the film is. If you think you know the answer, say your name and then the answer. Should be pretty straightforward. Guys, ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's the first one Big Kahuna Burger. Scott. Scott. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is the correct answer. For the record, I
1: didn't know that too. He was just faster.
0: Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Here's the next one. 50 hard-boiled eggs.
3: Oh, shit. Shit. Yeah, I think I'm wrong, but Scott. Scott. Old boy?
1: Incorrect. Uh, uh, Matt. Matt? Uh, I don't think that... No, I don't think that's right, but I'll say it anyway. Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. It's... (laughs) You're off. Oh. I like where you're at. I like where your head's at. It's wrong. It's cool hand luke it's the correct
0: answer. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Okay. That was a question meant directly for Abe, uh, but he's not here. Um the listeners know why. Uh all right, next one. A cup of raw eggs. Just a cup of raw eggs? Yeah.
3: Uh Scott. Scott. Rocky?
0: Rocky is the correct answer.
1: Okay, yeah, all right. I mean, that, I feel like that could apply to a lot of other things, but that's
0: okay. I mean, it probably could, but I think there's one key one that comes to mind. You know what? Scott got it. Sure, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's the next one. And it's the last egg-based one. Egg and toast. Hmm. Egg and toast.
3: That's what I generally make for my own breakfast, but okay.
1: Oh, you know what? Um, <sighs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 this is probably not the answer. Uh huh. But I do remember there's a scene of Viva Vendetta when he makes her breakfast in the morning. That's correct. It's Viva Vendetta. You're shitting me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no way. You got it. That is it? You're on the board. Yeah, that's it. Oh
1: my God. Because I remember the close up and the sizzling of the pan when he's making yeah. it. And he's wearing the gloves too. Yeah. It's like so memorable to it's me. an iconic I, shot of egg and toast. <laughs> yes oh my god i cannot like i did not think that was the answer at all i like how excited you are for the
0: game that's that makes me happy yeah okay here's the next one a (laughs) cubano sandwich cubano cubano sandwich here's the hint one of the stars of this film is in the menu i thought Mm -hmm. this would be an easier one after egg and toast
1: (laughs) really you thought so a cubano sandwich The answer is Chef. Oh. You know what? I've never seen Chef.
0: Oh, well, that would not help. It's a big part of that movie. Okay. Which actor is that? Like was uh... Like Wazzamo, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Here's the next one. A strudel with cream.
1: Oh, Matt, that's inglorious Bastards. Glorious
0: Bastards is the correct answer. Here's the next one. Monkey Brains. Scott. Scott.
3: Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom.
0: That is correct. Here's the next one. Welsh rabbit with a poached egg on top, bacon, scones,
1: buttercream, jam, lapsing tea, and some sausages. Matt. Matt. I, I, oh, uh, no, I had it in my head, but now I think I'm wrong. Uh, I'll say it anyway. Uh, when Harry met Sally? Incorrect. Damn it. Scott for the steal.
0: I am
2: drawing a blank.
0: There's phantom thread.
1: Son of oh. a bitch. Oh, that I should have known that. Out. that.
0: I should have
1: known that. <laughs> what he, what he says? You know, when and... when you started saying like something very over elaborate, I was like, uh-huh. "Oh, that sounds like something that Sally would order." And when Harry met Sally, but god damn it, <laughs> what he says,
0: "And some sausages." And everyone's like, "Oh, this is kind of a comedy." That's like one of the greatest marks of handsome three. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Here's the next one: Turkish delights.
3: God, Scott. The Chronicles of Oh, sorry. Yes, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe.
0: The full answer is appreciated. That's correct. <laughs> Here's the next one. A live octopus.
3: Oh, Scott.
1: Scott. The old boy. It is old boy. There you go. You had old boy earlier. <laughs> and here I am. I can't help but think of the boys instead. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the next one. A couple more. Shawarma. Oh, Matt.
0: Matt. Avengers. Avengers. That's the correct answer. Here's the next one. Spaghetti with maple syrup. Oh, I've heard this one shit. Thank. Some versions of this have more candy involved as well. Lots of sugar. Do we get a hint or it is it is a holiday movie. Thank Scott. Scott? Is it elf? It is elf. Oh, that's the correct answer. Here's the next one. The last one. Tampino. I'm oh, sorry. Tampino. Tampino.
3: The hell?
0: This really is it. If you know it, you know what kind of answer. <laughs> <This
1: one>. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I do not know it. The answer is uh, Big
1: Uh No, no, I don't know. I haven't seen. It's Big Night with uh, Stan Tucci. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Never saw a Big Never Night, but I, I, I am aware of its existence.
0: Hey, good news. It got announced coming to Blu-ray soon. So there you go. Oh, cool. It's a really, it's a really good movie with him and with Tucci that. and Shaloub and among others, Ian Holm, a lot of people. Uh, well, Scott, you were the winner of this week's game, Movie Foodie. Congratulations. Matt, you did, get, did you get on the board a few times there. Always good. That means you get to come back to the show at some point. So there you go. Okay, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. You pulled out that V for a hey, answer. That's great right there. I mean,
1: that, I'm still <laughs> shocked by that myself. <laughs>
0: all right well let's get to the last thing we do here a little out now feedback 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 this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our facebook page facebook.com podcast we ask a number of questions to the listeners they give us some answers uh matt scott feel free to throw in any answers you might have to some of these questions we have here first one is what are some films that make you hungry chris writes chef always makes me hungry uh scott writes another scott writes this is a fantastic film and if you love italian food like me you'll make a pasta meal soon after it is Big night with Tony Shalhoub yeah. and Stanley Tucci. They are wonderful. And Philip writes, "Stranger than fiction." I have quite a sweet tooth. I, I don't remember food in that movie, but okay, I guess that's had food involved.
1: Uh, Babette's Feast. There you go. Alive. <laughs> would it be would it be off putting if I said raw? No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
3: Sweeney Todd.
1: you know what the answer yeah. i have is for the uh, obvious beyond,
0: beyond some of the obvious ones it's that damn seated spanglish where sandler makes like the
1: boat like oh, the best yeah. looking
0: egg sandwich like that you've ever seen a movie uh, that, I, you
1: know, I gotta give that to birds of prey then if that's the case because the egg, egg sandwich in birds looking of prey pre- is Ooh,
3: jokes aside and you know obviously ranatouille the uh-huh. steak in the matrix that that what eats when he's yeah. debating whether to betray his uh, yes. colleagues looks just fucking delicious every time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, next question we have: What are some great films that criticize the wealthy? Joe writes "The Hunt." Christopher writes "Down and Out in Beverly Hills," "Outrageous Fortune," and "Trading Places." Chris has "Snowpiercer" and "Ready or Not," and Phil, excuse me, Philip has "It's a Wonderful Life." those that criticize the wealthy
3: uh knives out is an obvious one but yeah it, um trying to think of beyond the i'm obviously the Grapes of wrath
0: what um, i like is how hilarious that movie is it really gets you in the good yes yes very funny <laughs> um i
2: remember
1: uh, i was giving an interview the other day i'm looking for the answer in my notes here um that's what it was. Uh, the exterminating angel. I couldn't remember the title, okay? Yeah, I saw it a while ago, and uh, that, that was a really good one
3: just because I mean, it crossed my mind. Uh, what we see, a, oh, sorry, there was a no, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was gonna say, uh, I guess Ready or Not would also qualify, right? Yeah, so I'll put that here, yeah, 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 because that was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that one.
3: There's a Chinese movie I saw in mid 2020 when there was nothing else to see. 800 it's a two and a half hour pre world war II china versus japan war film and it's a very good distillation of the whole, whole you know old you know old men sending young men to die kind of scenario and there's this fascinating set piece and i guess it's true i looked it up where like they're fighting and they're dying here in the war zone literally across the river, walking distance, you have life going on as normal with regular people, rich, middle class, whatever, mm-hmm. eating and dining and sort of watching the carnage like it's a game. It was something that just it's a fascinating set piece. Um I remember, you know, it came out you know late summer 2020. I was like, I'm amused that this Chinese blockbuster is far more cynical and pessimistic and critical than Mulan which does not come from China. Keeping the international
0: international films in mind, I'll just throw in Parasite. Um, That's an obvious
2: one that
1: I didn't think
0: of. (laughs) Next up, (laughs) uh, what's your favorite Ray Fiennes performance? Christopher writes, Strange Days. Scott has Spider and In Bruges. Chris Chris writes, English Patient and the Grand Budapest Hotel. And Philip writes, The Dig is an interesting
1: restrained performance. Uh, (laughs) I hope I don't get like, I hope I don't get like shit for saying this, but I do think his turn in Schindler's list is pretty incredible because of how transformative it is. Sure. Uh, And he's utterly terrifying in it. And I think that he's, he always has an intensity to him when he plays villains in movies. But in that film, I think because the movie surrounding him is so realistic that's also what adds to uh, how terrifying his presence is in the movie as well. Oh yeah. You can spotlight that so many. The movies. least
3: controversial one you could have picked. Yeah. See, yeah, I'm, I'm well, not sure I, why you were worried about getting, he, he probably should have won an Oscar for that one.
1: I, I, I think, think he should a, have won yeah. too. I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I always get a little worried whenever I'm like, you know, advocating for the Nazi character. <laughs> you
3: know, I mean, it's a great, it's that, a great, there's quite a few good Holocaust movies that are partially defined by their interesting Nazi characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, the pianist comes to mind. Waltz, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's. I think he's terrific in Prince of Egypt. Um, I really liked him recently in a movement. In, uh, the Unforgivable, or is it the Forgivable? I don't remember the
1: name. You know what? He had a great, great character arc. Like I loved his. I, I wish Jessica Chastain's storyline in that movie was as interesting as his. I could watch the whole movie yeah. from his perspective, honestly. Yeah. That he was great in that. I agree. Yeah.
3: That's another good, you know, you know, eat the rich kind of movie.
0: It um, is. I wish that movie was better, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, like I, there's because it's two hours and I'm like, just if this yeah, I mean, doing me. its thing. Yeah. We say Grand Budapest already, right? For sure. yeah, it came up. Yeah okay yeah that i like uh, i mean advice. in terms of like restrained performances i'm huge on the constant gardener um, oh, yeah i mean and i mean he i mean as much as rachel vice got the oscar for that and like pete poslewaite is doing some things and bill nighy has a fun like i'm stammering now and i'm serious role like i
1: think he is the center of that movie and i think yeah. he's really great in it so. oh a, a performance of his that i actually think is one of his i i show you now when i say it i think it's one of his top five best and literally nobody ever talks about it a bigger splash
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he gets to play a beard, wear a shirt open the whole time. He's having fun. That's great. He How is, often is he bad? His energy in that movie is explosive. Like, I have never seen him be I, that loose as he is in that I movie. Mean, yeah, it's like with that. With the possible
3: exception of the Avengers, has he ever been really bad in a movie? No. <laughs>
1: uh, he's very good. He's a, he's like, yeah. He Sunshine.
3: He's like a classically
1: something. trained english actor that's well, a... sunshine he
3: plays three different generations of mm-hmm. characters you know very long and it is partially a holocaust movie but it's it's so long it's actually that's only a small part of it <laughs> it, oh, it,
0: um... it did come up just like grand budapest but in bruges i mean i just watched that again recently and it's just so <laughs> just the the way he just goes on with the way he uses McDonough's dialogue with him and Breton. Ah, uh, Brendan uh, Gleeson is just so wonderful and so vulgar, but just
1: really, really funny. Oh, I uh, love him in Bruges*. So I, I mean, funny. like he steals literally every single scene yeah. that he's in. He I just, just rewatched it. Recently. Yeah, he just
0: comes in like a battering ram at the end of that movie, and it's just like, "Good God, this guy is great." When, when like... he's like.
1: Where he's like, "Wait, well, you think I'm not going to fucking do anything just because you're saying it like Robert fucking Powell? Like who? <laughs> like Robert fucking Powell from Jesus fucking Nazareth. Like just the way he delivers it is incredible. It's, it's so good. funny.
0: It's really, really funny. All right, next question. What are some great films about journalism or the media? Scott writes, All the President's Men, Network, Billy, Wilder's Ace in the Hole, Citizen Kane to an extent. Justin has The Pelican Brief and Nightcrawler. Uh, Chris writes Nightcrawler. Philip writes Zodiac is a great film. A hidden gem in this category is Mr.
1: Jones. And Alessandro writes Spotlight. I am very ashamed uh, that no one mentioned this film because this is easily my number one favorite, The Insider. Oh yeah, Ooh, Insider's worth. Yeah, fantastic.
3: Yeah, The Insider, Nightcrawler, Spotlight. Yeah, there's, it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> what a pleasant, genre. great genre. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Name some good films about characters trying to uncover the truth philip writes dark city chris writes zodiac or shutter island concussion yeah he has to they have to they to tell the truth
3: jokes aside it's it's still a good movie remember when like everyone online tried to sell the idea that the nfl toned down the movie and what and the movie came out and the nfl looked like shit through the entire film mm-hmm. that was fun
0: yeah and, and it became the massive box office success that everyone expected at Christmas time about concussions and football.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah. Can I um, cheat and say no. a miniseries? Okay. What? What do I, what you think? No, no, I want, I'm kidding. I want to hear this. The original State of Play? Uh, Chernobyl.
0: Oh, yeah. Chernobyl's one. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's rules. Yeah.
3: And also, yeah, State of Play. That's a terrific movie. And a miniseries. State of Play was I, awesome. I, yeah. I like the miniseries. Both <laughs> versions of Edge of Darkness. All due respect to, yes, Mel Gibson in the second one, but whatever.
0: Uh, last question here. Or no, we got... That's not not even close to the last question. It is close. There's only two questions left. But what are some great films about taking down a villain that don't involve violence? Eric writes Shawshank Redemption.
1: Philip writes A Man for All Seasons. Uh, every... The sting is
3: kind of an obvious one.
1: The the end of every, uh, villainous Disney character.
3: The hero can't actually...
1: The the hero can never kill them. It always has to be like an act of God in some case, so... I don't there's know. a lot of <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people falling into the distance. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like slipping and falling. Yeah. Although although that is violent, right? So I guess uh, okay. So it's more. Uh, my taking... my
0: question was more about like what you know what does it involve killing them off to solve the problem. Sure. 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 Okay, right. what did I'll you add, say? is an okay.
3: exception. What? Aladdin he completely. He just outsmarts him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You just him. <laughs> <laughs> Genifies him.
2: <laughs> you
0: know that classic uh, solution to the problem. Yeah. You just made him a genie. <laughs> That'll do it. I wish other Disney cars would console console people about that. How do we get... How do we get rid of Gaston? Have you tried turning him into a genie? That's a great idea, Lumiere. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They got magic roses. There's a lamp over there. We can make this happen.
1: All right, A lot of Boudinette
3: films don't end in violence. Just need to calm down. (laughs) Where the detective explains everything that happened. Yeah.
1: That's true, and then usually the person gets hurled off into the police car at the end. Yeah, yeah, true. That's a a fun ending. Yeah, some knives knives out. We'll just say,
0: Notorious does that. I mean, you can you can probably defer the idea that someone's probably going to get killed later, but by the end of that movie, it's like, oh, these are coming for a conversation. Actually, that was the last question. My bad. that <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> I have question because I have questions for bones and all, but that's for our bones and all episode. But um, we don't need to talk about cannibalism right now. That's something Scott can say for dinner conversation with his kids later. Um, Always. <laughs> right. Well, with all that said, that out of the way, that's out now. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that's going to do it for this week's episode uh about now fair and if you can find all of my work my personal blog the everything I do ends up over there I for I write for we live Entertainment and while blue and I'm on Twitter at ps 4 uh Matt Negley
1: where can people find more of you online everybody can find me online anywhere at next best picture all the social media websites type that into Google you will find me if you want to or not <laughs> <laughs> Scott Mendelson where can people find more of you
3: online oh uh, I'm at at Scott Mendelson on Twitter and I'm at the Wrap. Um, I'll try to share my good stuff. Um, and I apologize for my delinquency, but I'm glad I was able to join.
0: Glad to have you here as always as well. Matt, glad to have you back on as well as always too. You can find all of the other episodes about now there on iTunes, Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at nutpockets at gmail.com. Follow us on all the socials. We have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and of course... Uh, once again, uh, find, uh, find us on uh, iTunes and Give us a rating and review, which will be wonderful uh, Matt Scott, thank you both again for joining me For talking about The Menu and She Said
3: we are very welcome
0: And uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode uh, Next week, there's a number of things The Wins will definitely be one of the priorities That we get to, but we also have Devotion, Strange World Of Moans and all, uh, among other films We'll be covering in the next few weeks uh, But that is going to do it for this episode So until next time, so long and goodbye
2: She said I know what it's like to be dead I know-